Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. First day of June, and we're back to another month of federal mandates at Pearson Airport and at land border crossings. So I want to share my thoughts about that out of the gate on this particular edition of Toronto Today. And we'll talk to Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. Busy, especially summer, busy border crossing at Sarnia Port Huron. you got Lake St. Clair right there, good entryway into the States. And a lot of people in southern Ontario are flying from the States. They're driving to Buffalo or they're driving to Detroit to avoid the relative chaos and disorder and restrictions that are that is Pearson Airport. It's a factor. Numbers are telling us that. So that's part of Toronto today on the uh, eve of Election Day here in Ontario. And it begins now. All right. We're always happy to have our next guest in on Toronto today. He is an Ottawa intensive, uh, intensive care unit doctor, palliative care doctor as well. Uh, and he joins us now on Toronto Today, Dr. Quadwell Kiramanting. It's great to have you. Uh, by the way, I know you're back at it, uh, working the shifts. The last time I think, I think we played a clip from you and you were in the sun. Uh, everybody needs to breathe for uh, 10 seconds at a time sometimes, but you're, uh, you, you got some sun, you got some fresh beach air and you're right back. And, and now you're right back in, uh, in Ontario where we got hot temperatures all the time. You, you played your cards perfectly. Oh, I, it, was, it was strategic, but like, can I tell you something, how good that felt? <laughs> to be to take a vacation for the first time in like a, about three years and, and and I must say you know in that clip I, I was talking about how if it's the one I'm thinking about the one that you know being outside of Ontario and how people have moved on and it, it really was like palpable like you could feel that you know we have moved on we're going to relax in terms of you know uh, COVID-19 and it, and it felt so good to, to, to be in that kind of environment and so um, that was a really well needed and uh, really well recuperated vacation. I'm glad you went, and it's worth all the all the you know hassles. I, f- I flew it to LA for Super Bowl. It's the only place I've been. It's only I haven't crossed the car the U.S. in a land border uh, in a car, and I'm dying to in a couple weeks' time. But yeah, that's that's even late January, early February. Ottawa, your city's in in chaos at that time with the uh, you know with the um, uh, the freedom convoy and and yet to get to the states and not see any of that on the news to breathe some fresh air yeah you gotta you know you, you gotta do your, your 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 mask up we're even masking in restaurants before we got to the table i was good with all that stuff but it just felt different change of pace i can't recommend that enough to people sometimes you gotta get off amen. the treadmill sometimes especially the last two and a half years <laughs> amen Amen, brother. Um, I want to get to this story about the Toronto doctor, but let me ask you first about um, about what you see in the halls on the floors first. Um, you know, March came. I think we talked to uh, maybe m- a month before March and people were uh, I understand people being uh, stressed. I understand people. Uh, we all took that first step forward. I remember going into a grocery store without a mask the first time. It felt weird. It felt like everybody was staring at me. It felt like the opposite of two years prior. But a lot of the bad things that were predicted in our province um, didn't end up materializing. And nobody does a victory dance. This is still serious for people who get it. It's serious for people who haven't uh, kept up with getting vaccinated or, or got vaccinated at all. But what do you see, Dr. Kiramanting, on your floors on a day and night basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think we've seen uh, a couple of things. The power of the vaccines, uh, you know, because... Um, we are seeing less sick patients. We really, in this latest wave, we saw a lot of cases, a lot of um, incidental cases as well, you know, over 50% where patients come in with a a problem such as, you know, an appendix 
or getting their hip replaced, but also swap positive for, for COVID at the same time. But we really didn't see as much severe disease, meaning, you know, and severe disease being, you know, hospitalized because of COVID, needing to be on oxygen, needing to be on a respirator or a ventilator. This was really a different uh, beast. And I think, yeah, one, because of the, well, being well vaccinated, two, because of the Omicron being milder, three, because we also had a, a, a significant amount of hybrid immunity because of uh, people being uh, infected before and uh, being vaccinated, and and also for having therapeutics of all, mm -hmm. uh, uh, having access to therapeutics for those that were immunocompromised. So like having the monoclonal antibodies of Paxlovid, you may have seen the oral pill, like having all these options really left us in a better place. And the more the challenges were, you know, outbreaks, staff being out because of, you know, staff, we were 10 day quarantine, uh, as opposed to the public being five because of being healthcare providers. So that put a lot of strain on the system. But when it came to the illness side, we, we really saw something different this time around. You work in intensive care. I want to ask if you see kids and I think headlines kind of grab people a little bit and we see, well, you know, surge of hospitalizations. The emergency rooms are busy. I'm not there, but this is what this is what uh, first responders tell me. This is what ER doctors tell me. They're like, we got two problems here. One is that the family doctors aren't fully open yet and they need to be. So parents think I got and I've done this before. I, can I get my kid seen quicker at an emergency room six years ago when he's or, ah, longer than that, when he's two and he's got, you know, a, a rotavirus or, or a huge cough? Can I get him seen at an ER before a walk in clinic on a Saturday afternoon? You bet I can. I know that. So I'll go to the emergency room. And the other factor is uh, is that kids not getting sick for a while, adults not getting sick for a while. I had a, a terrible cough uh, and sore throat, didn't test positive. Um, and I thought this is what happens when you don't get sick for 26 months. It takes you longer to fight it. Like we're our immunity and, and the things we're used to has all gone to hell. And I, I wonder if that factors in, but I want to know if you see, if you see younger people in intensive care. Yeah, so we really, so in my world, I live, I work in adult ICU. So usually they're the earliest or youngest we'll see is 16 years old. And really, we're not seeing younger patients. We're, we're certainly, I got to say, like some of the concerning things that we've seen is yes, I think there's been a lot of late presentation stuff. But what I mean by that is people presenting with late cancers or late mm -hmm. illnesses because of, you know, not seeing their doc or having uh, having late access to screening, uh, cancer screening and so forth. And that, that really has been disconcerting. And, and you know, because it's just one of those things that, you know, it would be nice that we could have kept up throughout this, throughout this pandemic. But honestly, um, when it comes to that, I think the term that often you might hear about is immunity debt, like because we've yeah. been isolated and and not exposing our kids and young uh, and ourselves to other pathogens or viruses, and you know, it, eventually that catches up is the theory. And I, I think when we saw that uh, with RSV, it's a type of respiratory virus that we that um, often kids will will uh, be hospitalized with. We saw peaks of that throughout the world, and uh, you know, my personal opinion is this def definitely is a. Uh, related to, to not being exposed to as many pathogens. And I, I, you know, with every 
restriction or step that we got to think about the consequences and often they're unintended but you know my point these days is like let's think about how to uh catch up how to you know address a lot of these issues how do we catch up with all the you know operations that people are, are have been lacking how do we make sure that our cancer screening steps up you know how do we make sure you know patients can be seen at their family family doctor's clinic now like yeah you know like i i, I honestly I, I mean, the stories that you, you, you've been hearing about now about people not being able to have access and then coming into the hospital with late presentations and dying. Like I, I you know, I, I don't mean to be sound dramatic, but I've seen it when, when people have not been able to have access to care and, and as a result have, have you know, uh, been passed. And it's, it's just hard to witness that. Um, at this point i hear you and and you've got you know you've got older people it's not just older people but it's it's happening just some i've seen it anecdotally with neighbors and their parents where well you know a 70 year old 80 year old person's afraid to go into hospital well i might get covid there mm. yeah but you got 14 other things that at your age and and with you know maybe some comorbidities you've got to worry about and you, you need to get those things looked at you got to turn off the tv and I, I don't even want to say take a chance because you're taking a chance with the other 14 things that aren't getting looked at by your family doctor. Yeah. And this is, this is where we really failed collectively when it came to messaging. Like I, this was one of the, the sad things when people were terrified mm-hmm. to walk into a hospital and to, to I think because of the risk of the fear of, of getting COVID in hospital. And you would look at, you know, what these patients would present with and you'd be like, you were at home with this. It, this is way more at risk. This is way scarier than COVID will be in terms of you know, you know putting a threat to your life. And I, I just I you know like one of the big things I just wish we were more articulate about who really needs to worry. Like you got to respect the disease, obviously, but it's not the same when you are ninety years old with diabetes and and obesity and high blood pressure and unvaccinated compared to the four-year-old or the eight-year-old child. And, you know, this is where I think we really needed to to explain relative risk to folks so that we could act accordingly. Yeah, you nailed it. There's 15, 16 phrases that I think rankle me and they may rankle you. Even something as simple, that, that means well as we're all in this together. Well, people interpreted that as we're all at the same risk and we aren't and we never yeah. were. And, and even even in a post Omicron era, even post vaccination, we were never all at the same risk uh, from day one. We had to look out for each other, but we had to we had to judge those risks accordingly. And we made rules for um, 80 year olds that were the same as 40 year olds that were the same as 10 year olds. And if this ever crops up again, we can't do those same things. We got to be louder and more vociferous about preventing that from happening. A hundred percent. Like one of the my biggest pet peeves right now is when when I think about the people on campus. You know, you'll see a different rules at different different campuses. Like you, you know, you got an 18, 19 year old healthy as an ox, having to be double or triple vaxxed, you know, uh, to be on campus, and some of them were still having just virtual learning. I'm like, these are the these are future doctors, future engineers future teachers and we are uh, not allowing them to congregate and to have optimal learning right now when they are the lowest, some of the lowest risk groups. 
it, it or or to think critically or, or to think critically about what's yeah. risky and what's not we all used to do that every ever you'd leave the house at 13 you'd be like this might be more safe than that and to your point i know you love your oilers i used this phrase all last summer why does Connor mcdavid need the same amount of vaccine shot that my 77 year old mom does that doesn't that never made sense it makes to me. Never zero made sense, sense to me it made zero sense and but this is I, 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 and I do wonder, like, is, you know, what are we teaching our kids? Do you know what are we teaching our, our youth? Like, as you alluded to, are they going to, are we still advocating for thinking critically? Are they going to, you know, be able to fend for themselves as they become our leaders, become our, our you know, the, the mainstays of, of society? Like, this is, it's just, I don't know. To me, this that was one of the most egregious parts of, the, the approach of what we're teaching our future of the kids you know dr quad will is our guest on toronto today on 640 toronto I, I know um we asked you on to talk about the specific story so instead of instead of two two cool smart guys yelling at clouds and you're smarter than me so <laughs> um but but i i'd say this i saw this story and very little surprises me after 27 months but we find a toronto doctor uh, was vaccinating hundreds of kids, um, quote unquote, off label under five. The parents were in agreement. The parents would either hear about this, but it, it sounds like backdoor, back alley, black market. It, like it, this does this isn't just giving someone switching someone's prescription because something isn't available. Then when I thought when I thought I'd read the story, Dr. Kiramanting, I thought maybe the doctor would be like some of the doctors that gave out fake vaccine certificates or they were wrong about something at some point in time. No, there's digging in. There's defiance. He's been called a medical hero by other Toronto based doctors. And I think, OK, now I have seen it all because this wasn't something I expected. You tweeted about this unacceptable full stop. And though every no one's been right for 27 straight months about one thing, no one's probably agreed with somebody 100 percent for 27 straight months. I read what you wrote and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And here's someone who knows saying so. I, I, I'm I'm still a bit uh, uh, shocked at um, all of this, but you know I try and even you know we talked a little bit before going on there. I was say I was thinking, you know, how would I be able to think of a situation where that's acceptable? I, I think maybe there's an immunocompromised uh, kids that you know that are really uh, at risk of, of dying from COVID. But when you take a, a step back and you think. Number one, we talk about risk to kids being super low. Number two, giving them a, a, a drug or medication that, you know, hasn't been evaluated well enough. And then you think this is acceptable for somebody to put kids at risk, you know, when, when once again, their outcome of COVID is, is not going to be the same as that 90-year-old. Like there's this... and. And this is where I, I just, I, where have we come, where have we gone to? Like where this is even acceptable in some people's minds. Like I, I just am blown away that we can't approach this objectively and say, you know what? We have due process. We have checks and balances for a reason because these kids have their whole future ahead of them. And by having an approach that maybe, like, once again, we do not, it's a, it's the checks and balances are there because sometimes there's unintended consequences. Maybe it's a risk of myocarditis. Maybe it's a risk of future infections. We don't know. This is why we 
wait for our checks and balances. And for someone to just go ahead with a low risk group and administer medication and, 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 and be proud of that. I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm legit speechless. Actually. I, 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 I when I read it and when I, when I saw it, when I saw the response, I, I yeah, I, I'm speechless. Uh, and I think two things about what you said. One, one is that kids at that age, under five, they're not the 19, 20 year olds we're talking about. They're not fully conscious beings yet capable of judging harm, knowing right for wrong. That's for damn sure. We're both parents. Um, mm-hmm. But, but they're like, they, they barely, they barely get a choice as to what, you know, sweater they want to wear to school um, when they're under uh, age five. So they don't have a call in this. The second thing I think, what if what if a year ago you remember all the controversy about AstraZeneca? What age group is it for? OK, we're going to put it in this age group. Now we're going to switch it up. Now we're going to open it up. If there had been a doctor, um, you know, uh, giving back, giving AstraZeneca to uh, older folks beyond the, what the guidelines said. And he said, well, they came to me and they were worried. I think we'd have a lot different perspective that that he's you know taking advantage of the elderly. He's vaccinating 70 and 80 year olds or maybe he's he's shaving down the waiting period for the same. Well, they're worried and I'm trying to protect them. We would have no tolerance for that. So for all the things we did to kids, this just goes in that in that box again as to like they don't get a say here. So it's up to it's up to the adults to protect them. I understand the parents and we talked about the fear but it's up to the doctor and it's up to the medical community to say, I can't do anything for you. I might want to, but I can't because I swore an oath that I wouldn't. A hundred percent. Like this is part of our responsibilities. Like, and you brought up some good points there too. Like think about, you know, we think about AstraZeneca, you know, where there was some uh, unfortunate complications with the thrombosis that happened that we didn't see in the trials. Mm-hmm. So, so now you, you're, you know, so we know that there's potential risk that we don't see in the trials. We saw the same thing with um, myocarditis. We stopped giving Moderna to young men because it, as we start to roll it out, we saw some complication. So with our kids who, you know, do like thankfully extremely well compared to, to adults uh, when it comes to COVID, why put them at risk without the formal evaluations you know like and it's like you said greg like collectively we we, we've done a disservice i think in terms of the messaging and the amount of fear that we we, you know have created when it came to the virus but you know it's our kids you don't mess with the kids you don't mess with kids and as you said they don't have a voice normally you know you would lean on people like the doctors uh, the, the lawyers, the parents, like they rely on, on us, you know, stepping up for them. And uh, I just, I just think this is, it, it, it's unacceptable and it shouldn't be tolerated. And, you know, it just, it's just sad that we're even having to talk about this, to be honest with you. In in your mind, is this an easy call for the uh, CPSO, the College of Physicians and, and Surgeons of Ontario? I, I've, I've watched you. I, I've watched you not punch down, not punch back. Um, you know, you, you've just forged your way forward. You've said what you've said. You felt how you felt. And you try not to get into what I would describe uh, fairly, even though it's early in the morning, as pissing matches. So we're not talking, this isn't some, you know, personal agenda here for a bunch of doctors to say, well, let's get Dr. Christopher Sun out of here. But it, it's, there's the College of Physicians and Surgeons exists for a reason. Do they have an easy call here? Do they, don't they have to look at this? I mean, I, I, 
I'd be shocked if they're not looking at it. I, 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 I mean, I can't speak for them what the, what the, 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 the plans are, obviously, but I, I think just knowing their mandate, uh, you, you can't ignore it. And so, I, you know, I, without, I would love to know more and more of the details, but like, I think they'll be in a spot where they're going to evaluate this. And, you know, I just hope that uh, it's clear to other docs that this is not going to be, this is not an acceptable behavior because we, we have our checks and balances and, they, and people are vulnerable when they come to us. They're, always, they're vulnerable and they're seeking our guidance. And there's a reason why we have to sometimes, you know, be firm and say mm-hmm. why we can't do something. Like we, I mean, I do it all the time in my job, unfortunately. We, you know, like when a uh, patient's not going to benefit from a, a treatment, we have to unfortunately say like it's, it's not being offered. And this is part of the responsibilities we take. And it's not, we're not here to please everybody. We're here to do what's in the best interest of, of our of our patients do you yeah, so last thing do you worry there's other doctors that have done this or are doing this and it's it's a concern i mean usually that's a good question i i think i've been so blown away by this i, I you know i haven't really thought too hard about that but you know I, you do you do wonder um because you know there's going to be that high level of stress and anxiety amongst many parents and, and uh, there's going to be that pressure. And, you know, I, I, if there is, I hope, you know, this, this kind of behavior stops. And, um, and I I think we, I just want to echo to, you know, the docs out there, like we have that responsibility to do what's in the best interest of our patients. And, you know, and in those checks and balances are there for a reason, We've said we've made took an oath to do no harm, and we we need to be strong. We need to be exemplary, and uh, um, and so I, I hope there isn't much of that kind of activity going on. But it's as far as I'm concerned, unacceptable. You can check him out uh, hosting the quadcast. He's Dr. Quadro Kira Manting. Uh, thank you very much for making the time for me in Toronto. I'm glad you spoke up about this again. You know, like we all. We, we go to the sleep at night, we put our head on the pillow and it's, it's just us. So you got to feel good about the calls you make, the decisions you make, the things you say. And, uh, and I thank you for bringing your advocacy to our show today. Oh, I really appreciate you having me anytime you need my friend. Thanks so much. Good luck to your Oilers. I mean, who, who likes the Colorado? Yeah, let's go. I, as a, let's as a, a long time Red Wings fan, I can't stand that uniform. It's been too long since Claude Lemieux, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's get this over with in five. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks for the time today. Thank you. Uh, Our next guest uh, joins us from uh, the fine town of Sarnia, home of the Sting. And uh, and I think I've seen a couple bands at the Campbell Street Station there. Not recently. So here he is, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. Is the Campbell Street Station still a thing? It's uh, still there. I don't think it's operating because of COVID the last few years. But uh, over the years, they had some great bands, Tragically Hip. They sure did. I saw the the odds there. I think I saw 5440 there. Sarnia is a concert destination, and I want to get the word out, Mayor. Well, thank you. And for years, we had what was called Bayfest, which had Aerosmith and Bon Jovi. And for a small community, it was a, it was a great uh, thing. But, you know, the concert business has changed, and the whole world's changed. And it wasn't related to COVID, but just it got harder and harder to make it work financially in these smaller markets. Are we doing that this summer, the, the big classic rock uh, Bayfest? No, there's some small festivals. And okay. I think 
that's what's happening almost everywhere. Uh, these small baby steps to get back to having people out together, enjoying themselves, and uh, and the risk now in the concert business is much larger than it was, you know, five ten years ago. So there's two things that might be happening in your uh, your border, but I noticed yesterday, um, and the two things are one, I don't know what you're seeing in terms of tourist traffic coming over. The weather's beautiful. You got a lot of boaters, like I said, near near Lake St. Clair. But here's what I'm hearing anecdotally: people coming from London or even a bit further. And I used to do this from London. You'd look and say, well, is it easier for me to fly from uh, from the airport in Romulus, from Detroit Metro, or is it easier to fly from Pearson? And with all the bad publicity Pearson's getting right now, rightly so, um, I'm finding, I'm hearing from people crossing at the Blue Water Bridge and flying from Detroit. Is, is there anything you're seeing statistically that documents that, or are you just hearing the same things? Uh, Greg, not statistically, but it's, it's well, for years, it's always been an alternative. We have Flint, Michigan, where there's an airport that can get you straight to Florida or Texas or California, and then Detroit Airport, which is closer from Sarnia than uh, Pearson is. And yeah. then you read those stories about Pearson. And by the way, you know, when I hear the minister saying it's our fault, that they're all, like, it's like it's a surprise that we were coming out of COVID and that they weren't prepared for it. I think that's frustrating people. But see, in our case, we do have an alternative where people are using it. And, you know, again, I think uh, the, it's really hard right now with these border restrictions, trying to figure out what the rationale is. And the government doesn't do that. When they announced an extension to the end of June the other day, there was no explanation, just we can do it, so we're doing it. Are you getting the the, the proper amount of, I suppose, a return to the uh, usual amount of Americans coming over and experiencing Sarnia or cutting over, uh, you know, through your border to make a trip into Canada? Their money's worth more. Um, there's less restrictions, obviously, at the land border than there is uh, to fly into Canada. Are you seeing more of that in Sarnia? Well, we're certainly seeing more than we saw in the last uh, 18 months to two years. Uh, it's uh, it's increasing, uh, but it's not. I mean, here, I'm, I'm looking out my window here. It's not like Sarah Palin at Port Huron, Michigan. <laughs> it wouldn't be unusual for us to you know go across the bridge two, three times a week uh, to Port Huron, Michigan and have lunch or do whatever. That's not happening. Uh, and then we have this other issue that's developed is that Nexus is clogged, too. Again, the government seems surprised that people, once they could travel again, would want to use Nexus, which gives you that once you're cleared, you can go back and forth without restrictions. So that's the big surprise. Is the federal government seems to have stood back and never looked at what's going to happen when we exit or get close to the end of COVID. And how are we going to deal with that, whether it be at airports or dealing with uh, the Nexus program? Because I think it's an under understated thing, Mayor Bradley, that, yes, it's uh, P- Pearson is getting international headlines and and not in a good way right now but Canada's still you know we're still operating to me via um you know a January playbook or a last fall playbook when it comes to crossing at Sarnia and and Windsor and and the Peace Bridge in Buffalo and it it is people people don't know all the right answers do I need the arrive can app do I have to show proof of vaccination could I get randomly tested and if, if you start to ask yourself all these questions you're gonna say forget the trip let's wait a few more weeks and then a few more weeks after that and on and on Greg, that's exactly what's happening. Um, the fact is, it's still very confusing. I still get uh, complaints almost daily on the app program and it not working for people that then puts them in a horrific situation trying to cross the, uh, the border. And it seems to me that what the government is doing federally, they're doing a, it's the Canadian approach, right? Let's be cautious, 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 and, and not looking to what the world is doing and not looking at you know, we have come out of COVID to the point where we can look at these restrictions changing dramatically. But I can tell you from a border city mayor point of view, the city of Sarnia, uh, we've had little dialogue in the last uh, few months with the federal government. They just seem to be, this is our right to do this. We will do this and go away. Don't bother us.
I think one of the last con- Mike Bradley's joining us, mayor of uh, the city of Sarnia, joining us in Toronto today. I, I think one of the last conversations we had, you'd express some frustration. There were some city councilors that were that, that we'd probably describe as anti-vaccine, and a lot of the a lot of the conversation has shifted. Omicron has changed a lot of our perspective here. Um, and and though I I've got three shots, my kids have two shots. I look and I think. But those shots are, are going to wane over time. We can't keep we're, we're, we can't keep chasing our tails here. Have have you had sort of a, um, a you know, a, a, a revelatory feeling about about people that are unvaccinated? Are you worried if you're around unvaccinated people anymore? I, I just think our conversations are so different than they were six months ago. Oh, I still am, Greg. And I have a, at least one close friend who cannot catch COVID because of health issues. Mm-hmm. So I restrict my access and I'm very cautious. I still wear the mask when I'm out in public. Um, but this was a bit of a hotbed with the freedom people, if you want to call them that. And they're still protesting every Saturday, I believe, at Sarnia City Hall. And I'm still trying to dive deep on, well, what are you protesting at this point? But yes, there's still that feeling there. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult if we get into another round of vaccination, convincing even the people that did the right thing and did the two shots and did the booster. I think uh, there's just a mentality out there right now that uh, we've done our tour of duty. We don't need to keep on doing this. And that comes back to, I think, a lack of trust in, in government uh, orders and government direction to people. Some of the and, and some of the public health communication and, and not on purpose, not by design, has just been flawed. I mean, I've, t- I've talked about this with a couple of doctors recently on the show where, man, if, if you tell people we're all in this together and we're all at equal risk and then people do the work and figure out that that we're not necessarily of course there's more vulnerable people of course i you know my 78 year old dad can't do everything that i do i shouldn't even do everything my 14 year old does like like everybody has to judge their own individual and some of that's travel right some of that's crossing the border and saying i'm gonna go here i'm gonna go there well there might be older or immunocompromised people hesitant to do that still well, Greg, one of the best examples I can give you is the province wiped out the masking bylaw. They did that uh, weeks, months ago, right? Mm-hmm. But the federal government has continued to insist people coming back wear a mask for 14 days and apparently in some cases follow up. It's that contradiction, that ping pong ball thing that's gone on between the feds and the province on the rules that confuses the public and it gets them upset. And I fully understand that part of it. You make a great point because I thought about that after March break when we dropped uh, the mandates or even if people traveled Easter weekend. Let's say someone in, in in your lovely city goes to, you know, goes to that airport in Romulus, flies to the Caribbean, is away for a week. They're probably not seeing more people. In fact, they might be seeing less people than a kid that stays home and is working at McDonald's, going to a movie, going to a party, going to a, you know, a, a Leafs or Raptors game. They're they're probably seeing more people. So why does the person coming back have to wear the mask and the and, and the other and the person that's probably seen more people doesn't? You're right. These contradictions are what are what frustrate people. Yeah, and I, I would make the case, Greg, that most people don't know that they had to wear the mask for 14 days when they came back. And uh, the government was saying, federal government, it's up to the municipality to enforce it. We're not enforcing it. We don't have the ability to do so, or at this point, the political will to do so, especially when your own province of Ontario does not require people to mask up except by their own choice. So that's where the confusion is. I mean, Canada would be a great country if we didn't have the federal government and the provincial government. (laughs) I, I honestly believe this. I've believed this for years. You know, I've been around for a long time as a mayor. I think we should be like England, where you have the federal government and then you have the local government. End of story. I like that idea. Does that does that get you more uh, 
But that that I feel like that gets you more power, not less power. We need a more powerful Mayor Mike Bradley. But people in Sarnia would like that. How many, how many elections have you won? Six? Uh, 10 or 11 or 12? I'm not no, sure. No, it's not. I don't know if it's uh, quite... I'm, I'm going to research your... Uh, I'm going to do my own research here as I constantly do. Hey, you're, you're a political junkie like I am. I, I, I'm not asking for your endorsement, but will you watch tomorrow night with, with great interest? It's, it's quite a unique election. I, I always make the point, speaking of restrictions, a year ago at this time, we were the only jurisdiction where you couldn't play golf, seniors couldn't go play pickleball or tennis. And uh, and somehow I, I thought if you told me, well, the incumbent government could win, I don't know, more seats than they won in 2018, I would have been like, that's going to be difficult. But projections show it's it's quite a possibility tomorrow night. Well, if you're talking about watching the hockey game or the baseball <laughs> game, I'm in. I'm in. I have to say this, Greg, and I've been you know in politics almost 40 years, uh, starting out very, very young. I have never seen a more dismal provincial election. Uh, the issues are side issues, you know, a buck of this, a buck of that. The real important issues. And coming out of COVID, one would have expected more accountability on the government, considering what happened in the old age homes, et cetera. But it's not happening. And uh, part of that, I would put back on the opposition leaders. Uh, they've played a lousy game. And uh, what I find out here, I mean, I've been joking around here locally in the media, the leading candidate, as far as I can tell in Sarnia, when you drive by and look at the signs, is Remax. Remax is way, way ahead with signs. And the fact is, the public is disengaged from this election. And I'll wait to see what the turnout is, but I will wait to see the results. I would hope it's not a massive majority. I've been in that movie before. And when governments get massive majorities, they tend to think they've been endorsed to be kings and queens. And that's not the case. It's the default of the opposition and the default of, of what happened with the, with the issues in this campaign. So I hope we get a, a moderate majority if that happens. So the government has to listen to people. And, and also, I would hope that uh, we would recognize that uh, this was our opportunity to do a job evaluation. And from what I can tell, that's not happening. Mayor Mike Bradley from Sarnia. I love our conversations. Thanks. Let's have another one later in the summer uh, when, you know, maybe the Tigers uh, get closer to 500. Let's do that. Thanks, Greg. Okay, thanks. Mayor Mike Bradley joining us from Sarnia. This song you're listening to right now, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill. I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, I cannot believe this happened. Um, is the number one song on the iTunes charts. And let's let's give ourselves some credit here on Toronto. We were playing it way before everybody else. We make hits here on this show. Um, it's The number two song is Hold My Hand. Not Hootie and the Blowfish. That's not back. Um, Gord, we can't be having that. We need a federal mandate against Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> songs getting reestablished on radio. But that's Lady Gaga's uh, song from the uh, new Top Gun Maverick soundtrack. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's the new Danger Zone. Yeah. The new Take My Breath Away. And the number three song is the brand new Harry Styles called As It Was. So I'm telling you, a song from 1985 by the rather obscure, kind of um, esoteric, um, seemingly, uh, how would I describe it? She didn't get out much. Like, she didn't no. like touring. She was very eclectic and reserved. Kate Bush because this song's featured in Stranger Things. Uh. And um, it is a it's a scene and a half. I'll say that. It happens in the fourth episode that they utilize almost the whole song in the fourth season of the fourth episode of Stranger Things. But people heard it and have bought this song. And I'm I'm utterly shocked by this this revival. Like you don't know what's gonna catch sometimes. I remember my roommates in um, in university in 92 and uh in wayne's world they went see wayne's world i didn't go see wayne's world the theaters three roommates and they all went see wayne's world and they're like dude they use 
this is before you get big trailers and all that. So you don't know what the, what's going to be in the movie. And they use um, Bohemian Rhapsody in the car. Yes. That brought that song back. And then next thing you know, you're hearing that on the radio. And it's seven minutes. It's operatic. It's not, I'm not the most massive Queen fan, but that song especially is not one of, to me, one of the 10 Queen songs that I really like. I like Under Pressure. I like right. Another One Bites the Dust. I like Radio Gaga. I like, so, but it it rose up. But I, you and I were just talking about this. I don't think bands, a lot of these songs, revivals, most of them happen because somebody died. Yes. And then, well, nowadays it's because the album goes to number one because they're buying all the music because they want to celebrate it. Like Prince passed away. And then next thing you know, all his songs are in the iTunes charts. But when you and I would listen, you probably like me, you'd listen to, uh, you'd listen to countdown shows, right? Like uh, you got your uh, Casey Kasem. Yes. The long distance dedications. (laughs) Shadow Stevens. Oh, Shadow Right. Replace Casey Kasem on America. That's not easy to replace a legend. Um, and uh, what was that? Oh, Rick D's. You'd have to hear oh, Rick yes. D's with a weekly top 30. But that didn't happen. Like, you could, you didn't have... I don't remember John Lennon passing away and all of a sudden... He had a current album out at the time, Double Fantasy. But I don't remember all of a sudden all these Beatles songs climbing into the charts. But it happens all the time now. But Kate Bush isn't dead. And if she had been dead, it wouldn't have the same effect as being in season four, episode four of Stranger Things. Like, this is the most shocking revival... Like, for example, Twist and Shout's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Right? He sings it at the parade. Yeah. And he doesn't get kicked off. He doesn't get maced. Nope. He doesn't get beaten up nope. by Chicago cops. They probably should have accosted him. He's getting really close to the barmaids or whatever on the Oktoberfest float. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and but Twist and Shout then goes into the top 30, and you start to hear it on radio all the time. And uh, Whitney Houston died, and Michael Jackson died, and all of a sudden everybody's into... Yeah. That that's not what this is. Like I can't think of it outside of the Bohemian Rhapsody example, and I think that song went to number one or number two in like 1992, like freakishly so. Um, I this is the most. This is kind of an outlier, is what it is. Um, uh, Unchained Melody too from the um, uh, there was a what was the movie in the 90s? Uh, Ghost. 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 Right with the pottery wheel. Is that yeah. what's happening? Yeah, that oh came my back. Gosh, so romantic to yeah. work with pottery. Erotic. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people tried to eroticize their pottery classes from that point on. That, that quickly died. The erotiza- eroticization of pottery yeah. classes? I mean, a lot of people signed up for those classes and realized, what am I doing? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose that would uh, that would end up being the case. But this is, again, this is the most shocking thing in the universe. Kate Bush does not, like, she didn't have another real hit over here. This song originally went to number 30 on the Billboard charts. It went to number 16 on the Canadian charts, which I guess was the record at the time. So it's not like, oh God, it's coming to, it's coming to me. A red, red wine was put out and it wasn't a hit. And then for some reason, seven years later, they re-released it and it went to like number one or two. And I'm a, yeah. I'm a teenager thinking, I heard this on the radio seven years ago. Exactly. What's the big deal? And I don't think it was in a movie. And it's no current songs were in television shows streaming like this. Like this is the strangest. Kate Bush could announce a big tour right now play Scotiabank Arena, but they'd probably be like, can you play that song three or four times? Yeah. I like some of her other stuff, but it's, she's a bit of a weirdo. Well, you watch the so, video for that song and it's all interpretive dance and, uh, well, who doesn't, you and I are big fans. Well, yeah, I like good interpretive dance, especially to get a message across, but I mean, the other, the other song she had was cloud busting and it had Donald Sutherland in the video. You remember that? With I the, don't remember Donald uh, Sutherland in the video. Yeah, no, it's just, it was again, it was like a weird premise to the song. It's just, but good for her. Yeah. She's a little too a little too arty for esoteric was the right word. She's yep. a little too arty or esoteric. Like if she sat down with you at the high school cafeteria, you'd be like, Well, I know what courses you take. 
<laughs> you're not you dropped phys ed after grade nine you're not taking woodworking no and you've it's got four me. yeah 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 exactly that exactly that it shows you what we know it shows you how dumb guys can be because man kate bush was uh just phenomenal talent and this i cannot believe i'm just saying this she's she's ousted lady gaga and uh and harry styles on the charts you see how big some of these cars are on the road. You see how some of these big cars are in parking lots. Maybe everybody's got a friend. And when they come over to your house or you go over to their house, you're standing sometimes in front of their like their truck or even a huge SUV. And they can't you know, they can't see you from from where the, the driver side is, like where the driver's seat is. They can only see so much in front of you. When you take driver's lessons, what do they tell you? Make sure that you can see the back of the tires of the car in front of you. And even my kids give me crap for that. When I pull up in an inner, they know that rule and they haven't taken driver's ed yet. They're like, you can't, you're too close to the license plate. You can't see the back tires. And they're right about that. Our next guest wrote an op-ed in the uh, Toronto Star about her experience. And, um, and it resonated with me. Jessica, a speaker, is friends and, uh, from Friends and Families for Safe Streets. And she joins us now on Toronto Today. Jessica, did I get your na- last name right? You sure did. Thank you for having me on. You're absolutely welcome. Um, your story w- is a really um, a harrowing one, um, but uh, but I love that you're you're taking uh, you know you're, you're taking um, what's what was probably pretty traumatic, turning it into a positive, and you're getting word out about this. And I'm right. Like cars are, it either feels like parking <laughs> parking spaces are getting smaller in our society. That's probably not true, or it's just all the damn cars are bigger. We see this anecdotally every day. Yeah, and in the piece that I recently wrote, I call it um, a a vehicular arms race, and that's really what it is. Everybody's buying bigger and bigger and bigger vehicles. So I understand the concept sometimes of why uh, manufacturers are making those trucks bigger and the SUVs uh, bigger, more things you can put in it. We're all hauling more kids around at different times. But um, but there's um, there's more of a public health risk. That seems patently obvious. And any kind of accident that transpires and there's just always going to be car accidents ends up with a little more mayhem and, and carnage than than with the smaller cars. That's that's statistically obvious. Yeah, and it's like you can't argue with the physics. The impact force is a product of the mass and the velocity. The higher the mass, the worse the impact force is going to be. So collisions with these massively heavy vehicles are less and less survivable the heavier that they get. It's it's unacceptable, I think. It needs to stop. I know when I've um I haven't moved in a long time, but when I moved, I made a big move from Detroit to Toronto and and used like a moving uh, you know, heavier moving truck a couple times. I hated making turns and you make the note in your in your piece that SUV and pickup drivers are up to four times more likely to hit someone when turning because they've just got a much more massive blind zone than a compact car. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a product of the thickness of those uh, front pillars on either side of the windshield. And those are a product of the increasing weight of the vehicle. So the heavier weight of the vehicle, the thicker those pillars have to be to support uh, the vehicle in case of a rollover type of a crash. So it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle of danger uh, for people outside of cars. And there's no rating system whatsoever for this. There are lots of rating systems for survivability if you're inside of the vehicle and you're in a crash, but there's absolutely nothing to indicate the risk to the public that's outside of the vehicle. And that's another thing that has to change. That's not difficult to implement. All it takes is some political will. Jessica Speaker is kind of the Joe's. I think this is an important issue on 640 Toronto on Toronto today. Tell the audience, tell our listeners what happened to you and when did it happen? 
Yeah, in 2015, I was riding my bike to work. I was northbound on Bathurst, and I was only on Bathurst for about 200 meters. It's an extraordinarily dangerous street uh, because it's very badly designed. And a SUV driver turned left, and exactly following all of these patterns, she struck me, claiming that she couldn't see me. And when she did, she broke my spine. She inflicted a traumatic brain injury. Um, I have permanent dents in my thighs. Um, I live with crippling anxiety and depression. Um, I've, it's affected every aspect of my life um, other than, you know, the family that I was born to. It's the most significant thing that's ever happened to me. And it's been nothing but bad. And I'm one of the relatively luckier ones because I'm not dead and I have all of my limbs and I can still function. Um, my brain injury is not so bad that it stopped mm. me from functioning as an adult. And this is what I have left is trying to stop what happened to me and what's happened to all of the people who have been killed from happening ever again, because it's so easy to prevent. It's not expensive. It's not difficult. The only missing ingredient is political will and the will to regulate things like the actions of automakers who are making these more increasingly deadly vehicles. It needs to um, have some rules applied to it. How old were you when the accident happened? I was 31. Mm. Uh, I'm now 38. So this is what should have been the prime years of my life. Um, I haven't started a family. I have chronic pain every day. Um, yeah. Is, is it improving? Can you do things physically now that you couldn't two years ago, three years ago? Um, modern medicine's wonderful. Physiotherapy is better than it's ever been. Are, are you are, are things improving or is it sort of one step forward, one step back sometimes for you, Jessica? Uh, it's more of a slow backslide, actually. These types of injuries don't ever fully heal, and they tend to deteriorate over time. So my spine, uh, where it was broken, mm -hmm. I now have significant spinal deterioration. Um, and all of these injuries were worsened by the design of the SUV that I was struck with. It was an Acura MDX. It weighed almost 5,000 pounds. It has the blunt high front end. Um, I went up into the windshield and was thrown because of the massive weight of the thing, the momentum that it hit me with. And if I'd been hit by a sedan, um, I would have had a better outcome or I would not have been hit at all because the visibility is better because the front pillars are more thin when you're making turns. You make the point um, that uh, as well, by the way, did the driver get a, t a listeners asking, did a driver, did the driver get a ticket in your experience? Oh. That's a whole long story. She got charged with turn not in safety, which is a minor highway traffic infraction that carries two demerit points and an $85 fine at a time. She fought that charge and she was ultimately convicted of improper use of a turn signal, zero demerit points and fine $300. And did you did you have legal means to pursue any kind of reparations from her? Uh, yes. Seven years later, it's still not settled. Are you hopeful, confident? Uh it, no, okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. I am going to get a settlement. It's still in process, but it is not going to compensate me for the damages that I've suffered. You make two amazing points that I want to get at. And, and I'll, 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 if you can speak to both of them, fantastic. One, there's a lot of people that are pro-electric vehicles. I get why. But you make the point weight-wise because of the size of the EV battery. They add a 1,000 pounds on average to the weight of a vehicle. That's one thing. The second thing, when we talk about these SUVs, I, I think I think drivers feel um, Im impregnable, if you will, behind the wheel, male or female. So they're a little more brazen sometimes because they think, well, if I get in a crash, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get hurt like I am in a in a little Volkswagen Beetle. But a Cadillac Escalade has a 15-foot front blind zone, and you say 13 kids could line up, line up vertically before the driver could see one of those 13 kids. I found that an unbelievable uh, anecdotal stat. 
Yeah, that's something that consumers of vehicles have no warning whatsoever about, and people don't tend to realize it on their own. And all these um, tall uh, SUVs and pickup trucks have these massive front blind zones. Some of them can swallow up a sedan. So you were just mentioning that your kids will give you grief if they can't see the rear tires of the vehicle in front of you. Yeah. You can pull up close enough to a sedan in one of these vehicles and you can't even see a sedan. And so this brings me um, to a crash that killed a five-year-old boy in Mississauga last year via an alley by a turning Jeep uh, drove over him in a crosswalk because the, the driver couldn't see forward out of her vehicle to see that there was a child in front of her, made a turn and killed the boy. That wouldn't have happened in a vehicle with better sight lines. The electric vehicle stat is shock. I'm already hearing from people this morning. The electric vehicle stat is shocking to people. Like it's uh, it's an unintended consequence of trying to do the right thing environmentally. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is an unintended consequence. And I also found it shocking. And there are some vehicles and it, um, like the one I mentioned that has a 3000 pound battery, that's heavier than my car. The battery alone, uh, my car is 2700 pounds, give or take. Um, so to be struck by one of these would be f- essentially fatal, even at low speeds. And uh, as to the environmental effect, um, something that I think isn't uh, well enough uh, known in the public is that the environmental benefit of EVs is not as great as suggested because of the devastation to the planet caused by mining the minerals. The cobalt is a big problem. Yeah. To make these extraordinarily heavy batteries. So EVs are not going to be the climate panacea that people sort of think that they are. We need to develop a way, uh, uh, appealing and safe alternatives to cars in our society, like effective and convenient public transit mm-hmm. and active transportation. And there is so little political will for that. It is astounding. Yeah. And 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 uh, I, I'm I'm on your side. We need to do more because um, it's uh, there's there's no negative uh, to this. There's only positives if we if we can make streets safer and cars safer. Jessica Speaker, thanks very much. Um, I I loved your read in the Star. Let's stay in touch on this and and let me be a, a friend and advocate for you going forward. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You got it. Thanks again for checking out Toronto today. We're back tomorrow on Election Day in the province of Ontario, and we'll have a full pregame show, if you will, leading into it. Full recap on Friday. Hope you can join us. The show's on 5.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., and you can hear us on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com. Thanks so much.